Chapter forty nine of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Russia in Asia, Siberia. We are traveling this morning on the great Trans Siberian Railroad. We reach it at Chelyabinsk, a station which is sometimes called the Western Gate to Siberia. It is situated on the eastern slope of the Ural Mountains being surrounded by groves of birch trees it has railroad shops round houses for engines and manufacturing establishments a few hours after our arrival we bought tickets for vladivostok and return and we are now coming back from a trip over this the longest continuous line of railroad in the whole world the road is more than five thousand miles long and with its asiatic and european connections many thousand miles longer it extends from the Ural Mountains to the Pacific Ocean, and from Harbin, Manchuria, a branch line goes south to Mukden and to Dairen on the Yellow Sea. The latter is sometimes called the Chinese Eastern Railroad. It connects at Mukden with the railroads of China and Korea, so that one can now go by the Trans-Siberian to Peking or to Fusan on the lower end of the Korean Peninsula, from where a few hours by ferry will put him on the Japanese railroads. The Trans-Siberian Railroad is one of the chief trade routes of Asia. It carries to Europe much of the tea, silk, and other products which were formerly transported by sea. It has many passengers, for by it one can go from Peking to London in less time than he can cross the Pacific, and besides there is no seasickness to fear. Our journey is comfortable. The train carries first and second class compartment cars which have excellent beds. We have a dining car whose tables are supplied with fresh fish from the Pacific Ocean and from Lake Baikal and the many rivers we cross. We have excellent butter and eggs from the farms near the stations and also beef, pork, mutton, and chicken, as well as venison, wild duck, and other kinds of game. Going eastward during the first part of our travels, we cross a cheerless plain spotted with salt lakes and marshes, the steppes of western siberia here the country is much like that of the kirghiz which we have just left we stop a while at omsk on the Irtish river and thence ride on to tomsk on the ob river both are small but fast-growing cities inhabited by russians they have fine homes and good stores and are centers of trade crossing the ob on a bridge a half mile long we travel more than eleven 1 hundred miles farther to Urkuts on the Angara, about two hours from Lake Baikal. Here, in almost the center of southern Siberia, is another large city, with banks, stores, hotels, libraries, and schools. The place is lighted by electricity, and its streets are wide and well paved. We stop over a train to fish in Lake Baikal. It is one of the deepest bodies of fresh water known. It is twice as large as Lake Ontario, and more than half again as large as Lake Erie. The country about is covered with forests, but east and west of it are vast plains, some of which are already settled by farmers. There are extensive grasslands and great fields of wheat. There are many villages of log cabins put up by the Russians who go out from them to their work in the fields. We are told that they hold the lands in common and that the elders of the towns divide the various tracts among the people year after year. We find more settlements as we go eastward, and at Vladivostok see the chief Russian seaport on the Pacific. 
it is a slice of russia in asia containing a mixed population of about fifty thousand russians it has a regiment or so of russian soldiers and also many koreans and chinese the streets are filled with long-bearded men wearing black caps thick coats and full pantaloons which are stuck inside their high leather boots we ride about the town in droshkis drawn by black horses which gallop like mad we do not speak russian and we motion the drivers which way to go we visit the chinese and korean parts of vladivostok and now and then meet one of the aborigines or natives descendants of those who were the only inhabitants of siberia before the russians came they look much like our eskimos having copper-colored skin slant eyes thick lips and flat noses among them are the buriats from about lake baikal the latter are full of superstition and when one of them dies they kill a horse in order that its spirit may carry him safely and comfortably through the land of the hereafter they are fond of tobacco and we see children of eight or nine years with pipes in their mouths equally odd are the tunguses who come from the valley of the amur and parts farther south most of them are hunters who roam through the woods without tents dwelling in caves or hollow trees they have reindeer and they travel from one part of the country to another on sledges they are fond of the animals and rear them for sale vladivostok is one of the seats of government of siberia it has many officials who know all about the country and from them we learn much concerning these vast regions which have been so little explored the land as a whole is an irregular plain which slopes from the highlands of asia towards the north ending at the arctic ocean this plain is made up of three great belts the first along the edge of the ocean is bleak and treeless and is frozen for the most of the year it is swampy in summer but during the winter the arctic ocean freezes for hundreds of miles from the shore and one might ride there for days over the snow without knowing where the land ended and the sea began this is the home of the reindeer polar bear and black fox it is the land of long days and long nights where during midwinter there is nothing but darkness and where the midsummer is one long long day when the sun never sets south of this icy region is a belt of almost impenetrable forest filled with wild boars wolves and other fur-bearing animals here are found sables worth more than their weight in silver and ermine whose beautiful white skins were formerly used to line the cloaks of kings the third belt is that through which we have been traveling in many respects it is like our far northern states or the wheat belt of western canada its winters are long but in the summer the nights are so short that the crops have enough sunshine to make them mature this belt contains rich farming land and it is being gradually settled as we have seen from the many villages and towns through which we passed on our journey the climate is healthful and it will some day support many millions of people the officials we meet tell us that the resources of siberia are by no means confined to its farms the land contains all sorts of minerals in almost every district gold is known to exist there are valuable mines of gold quartz in the altai and ural mountains and along the northern coasts thousands of men are at work digging up the frozen land and melting it with fires to wash out the gold nuggets weighing as much as a quarter of a pound have been found and the grains on the average 
are larger than those of any other part of the world. Siberia has plenty of coal, and there is one iron mine in the Ural Mountains which is said to contain about two billion tons of fine ore. The country has silver, copper, nickel, and lead, and salt and petroleum as well. The forests of Siberia are extensive and valuable, and its great rivers, the Ob, Yenisei, Lena, abound in fine fish. Indeed, it is almost impossible to appreciate the wealth of this great land and to think what it may become in the future. We conclude our travels by returning to Chelyabinsk, from where we get a direct railroad line to Moscow and Warsaw. From Warsaw, a fast train takes us to Paris, and we spend a day or so at the French capital. After that, we travel across the English Channel to London, thence go to Southampton, and one of the largest of the ocean greyhounds brings us over the Atlantic to dear old New York. End of chapter 49 End of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Asia, by Frank Carpenter